The following podcast is a production of Hardly Awesome Studios in association with the network. Find us at BICBP-radio.com. Welcome back to Cardboard Cave. It's me, Trevor. I'm here alone in the cave. I uh, just got a little inspiration to record something real quick. So, um, hope you've all been doing well. I've been uh, still playing some games. I've definitely been rejuvenated a little bit. Hopefully, you heard my last episode or two with Gobby. Um, I'm getting a little spring in my step back for gaming. Still not playing as much as I would like. Um, uh, in the last month, I would say not a whole lot, um, but hey, uh, some return to form. <laughs> uh, let's see, just, you know, I really don't like when they spend 30 minutes in a podcast talking about stuff that's not what I clicked on when I saw the episode title. So just real quick, um, see, since last time I recorded, I th- actually, you know what? It's been a while, hasn't it? It was, yeah, it was before my beach trip, so um went on a beach trip with my wife's family and let me just say if you've never gone on vacation for a week and gotten a stomach bug uh you're not missing anything fun um (laughs) i was just i was just looking forward to this vacation so much um with my job i'm an rn at a hospital and if you work at a hospital regardless of your role there you know it's just really hard to get time off um, it's just unscheduled time off and scheduling time off is just, it's rough. You know, you don't really even get holidays off except for maybe one day for Christmas, one day for Easter, that kind of thing. Wham, 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 wine, wine, bottom line, really looking forward to this trip. And then while on this trip, first, my mother-in-law gets, um, what appeared to be a stomach bug. And then, um, my son got what appeared to be a stomach bug and then it was me and then everybody else. Bottom line, I felt rough before the seven days, <laughs> but for the three days, I felt okay. We actually did play a few games. Excuse me. <laughs> and um, so we played a couple rounds of Cascadia. I tried Fleet the Dice game for the first time. Um, sorry, Fleet the Dice game, good Lord. I did not try Fleet the Dice game for the first time um, on the beach trip. It was the horse racing game. My mind is blank as the ocean is wet. The horse racing game, betting game, everybody's talking about it now. I picked it up at Barnes & Noble. Long shot the dice game. There we go. <laughs> Played long shot the dice game a couple of times. I'm not really ready to review that yet, but... um. It, it was it was interesting. It it wasn't quite what I expected. That's why I want to play it again. Um, like I don't know. I don't know what I expected, but it wasn't quite what I expected. But it was definitely pretty cool, and I definitely would like to play it again. Gosh, if it's really been since March 26 since I recorded, my goodness, 
Well, then yes, I have played a lot of games since since I last recorded. Uh, Fleet the Dice game is awesome. I thought I talked about that like in full depth on this show. Um, sorry, I have so many conversations in my own head. Sometimes I don't know what's been recorded and what hasn't been. Um, uh, Fleet the Dice game is great. It's one of my favorite solo games. Um, in fact, I've not even played it multiplayer yet. And the thing is, I don't feel like I'm missing a ton, but I would love to play it with two or three players. It plays up to four, but I think maybe two or three would be the sweet spot. But man, it's fun. And, and this is old news. A lot of people say this. But yeah, I've never played Fleet, the card game, the original game. Um, I would, but a lot of people say Fleet the Dice game is actually better. And it's just great. It's so good that I bought the next one from the same team, Three Sisters, which is like the gardening, pumpkin growing theme. Um, it's actually very pretty as well. I say as well. I know a lot of people don't look at Fleet the Dice game and say it's pretty. I like the way it looks. For a roll and write game, the dice are fantastic. And I think the sheets are cool. I like the sheets. There's so much going on. I mean, um, but I'm not I'm not going to get into that right now. We're going to talk about maybe that at a later date. Um, played one game of Cupcake Empire. Um, this is a game I got on sale uh, at Miniature Market recently. <clears throat> and it's from the same guy that made Yukon Airways. <sighs> It's, I played it one time and I want to play it some more. All I'll say about it for now is it's not a deep game, but it's got more going on than you would think for a game called Cupcake Empire. And it has some things going on that I don't see in a lot of games. I think it's, I think it was almost entirely ignored. Um, but I think it's got a, it's a pretty cool little game in there. The, the, the main hook of it is you're trying to, it's almost got a Kenichia like, scoring mechanism and yes i know i say that name differently every time um but basically your overall score goes up at the end of every one of your turns but it only goes up based on either your current sales or your current production whichever is lower so you've got two little tracks that are tracking your current sales level and your current production level and whichever of those numbers is lower is what your total points they call it income but it's your points goes up each and every turn. So you're scoring every turn, but it's strictly based on the lower of those two numbers. But the real cool thing is the way you uh, get sales is that there's little, there's wooden meeples. They're like painted meeples or screen printed, screen printed meeples, but they have different colors of clothing based on what cupcakes they want. So you can look ahead, like it's all, it's randomized at the start of the game. But once the game starts, all the meeples are out there on the board. So you know where they all are, and that's where they're going to be, and that's what they want. So there's a lot of information you can look at to make it a little bit deeper, actually a lot deeper than what I was expecting. Anyways, I'm definitely not ready to review that, but it's it's worth checking out, I think, and I definitely want to play it again. Um, but I would say it's pretty darn close to like a medium-weight Euro game with a with a look and a theme that just looks way lighter than what it is um played another round of tiny towns and i don't think i've talked about that on the show this is only the second time i played that game i like it tiny towns is a game that the first both times i've played it for the first few minutes i'm like man this game is just wafer thin there's just nothing to it 
It is so simple to the point of being simplistic. Um, but every single time, once you start getting your board a little more full, because it's basically kind of like bingo with, uh, it's not even polyominoes. It's uh, board placement. It looks like a polyomino game, but what you're actually putting on your board are cubes. And then you replace those cubes with a wooden building, but it's not polyominoes. It's, it's, it's just cubes. And then once you put all the resources out necessary to build a building, you replace one of those cubes with the building and then wipe the other cubes off the board. So what happens is your board is getting full as the game goes on. But whenever you actually build a building, a lot of those pieces come off. So it gets more space again. Um, and, and the game is so simple. Literally, it's someone says a color or a resource like blue is glass, gray is stone, etc. So they might say gray. So everybody has to pick up a gray cube, put it anywhere you want to. And if you've completed the, sh the necessary shape and color pattern to build a building, then you can, or you can wait. Like you're never forced to build a building. But by the end of the game, it is shockingly brutal if you've not really paid attention. I'll just go and say one of the players, and I'll go and say his name. I don't think we'll care. <laughs> Kurt. Kurt is an excellent game player. Very, very smart guy. But I saw what happened to him is exactly what I'm always afraid of will happen to me. Well, always in the twice I played this game. He scored zero points because you score negative one point for every space you did not fill at the end of the game. And you can knock yourself out so easily in this game. Um, it, it's, it's crazy. Like I've, you can easily have one person making just a few points and then somebody else might have 20 something points. Um, the, the thing is, I don't, there's not a lot of luck. I mean, I guess the only luck would be that somebody calls out the color that you want. That's the only luck. But if they're paying attention, they don't even have to call out that color, you know? So it does feel a little rough when you knock yourself out early because there's just not a lot of luck in the game. <laughs> but it's loud enough and quick enough that I still think it's a lot of fun. And I think once you've played it once, this was Kurt's first time playing. I think next time he plays, I don't think he'll knock himself out that soon. But it's just it's it's interesting. But it's a game that starts out so simple that it doesn't seem interesting, but it does get interesting. And then the other game that I played, this is the one we played five times, five times at the beach. It's the main game we played there because everybody basically got sick, so we didn't play much else. It's a wonderful world. Uh, the board game snobs, you know, I mentioned Gobby earlier. They, I think especially Jerry, really likes this game. And I'll be honest, the first time I played it, I was like. I'm surprised Jerry, being the snob he is, really likes this game. Because to me, it kind of felt like, this is going to sound really harsh, but a little bit like a poor man's Seven Wonders. The thing is, like I said, we played it five times because I always wanted to try it one more time. And by, I would say, our third game, by our third game, my opinion of it had gone up substantially. And I do see it for what it is now. I still can't understand how someone, and this is not to call Jerry out, but let's just say somebody named Jerry. I can't understand how they would um, kind of diss on Seven Wonders, but think this game is great because I think at the end of the day, it is like 50 plus percent. I don't know. Maybe it's not 50 plus percent Seven Wonders, but that's just, that's how my brain interpreted it. You know, honest to goodness, it's probably closer to um, Century, Century Spice Road or Century Gollum Edition. 
it's honestly probably closer to that than it is Seven Wonders. But in my brain, I was just thinking Seven Wonders. Obviously, I guess because of the card drafting. But not just the card drafting, just the way it works. Anyways, long story short, I liked it enough. I decided I don't need to own this. But when I saw that they're making the It's a Wonderful Kingdom, which has a theme that I think makes a lot more sense. The theme is so pointless in It's a Wonderful World. It's just a mismatch. Like, even Seven Wonders feels thematic compared to this. And I think, honestly, that hurt my wife's enjoyment of it because the theme is just so, like, throw this building on here. Throw this thing on here. Like, it's nothing. It's less than nothing. The art's great, so it's a shame. But but It's a Wonderful Kingdom has beautiful art, and it looks like it's way more cohesive. Like, it's not all over the place. So I think the theme won't hurt it at the very least. But also, it's it's a different game, but has some of the same core as It's a Wonderful World, and it's also a two-player-only game, which usually is, I think it's solo or two-player. It might only be two-player. In any case, that's usually a good thing for me if a game is, like, really good with two players. So It's a Wonderful World. I liked it by the end of my fifth play. I liked it a lot, and I liked it enough that I'm going to get the sort of sequel, It's a Wonderful Kingdom. Okay, that's longer than I meant to go on about all that. Because the whole rest of the episode is going to be talking about old dusty stuff. No more of this new garbage. Um, I just got a wild hair to do an episode. Honestly, I was just really nostalgic driving to work the other morning. I get really nostalgic driving to work. I have a 30-minute commute, and um, I don't know. It's something about driving to work, you know. It's it's when I miss my mom the most, you know, not to get all sappy, but, you know, it's coming up on a year that she's been gone, and, but for whatever reason, the other day when I stopped, you know, thinking about how much I miss my mom, I started thinking about sort of how much I miss my early days in the hobby, uh, in board gaming. Um, when I discovered it and just, it's like, wow, I think it's the first time I've really gotten nostalgic for that. Because to me, it's still my new hobby, you know. Um, I've loved video games, you know, my whole life, and I don't really play them that much anymore, except for the old stuff. Um, so, so board gaming was sort of my new hobby, you know, but I've realized I've now played these games long enough that I'm starting to get nostalgic. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad, but it just is what it is. Um, and so... I'm also on call with the hospital today, so I could get called in any moment. So if there's a weird jump in the episode, that's what happened. But since I am on call, I didn't want to record with Gobby because I didn't want to have to leave, and then he just stuck by himself. <laughs> so I decided to do something on my own, and hopefully Gobby will be back next time. Um, totally my fault. He was ready to record literally over a month ago. In my defense, I got really sick twice, one time with a horrible stomach bug. No, two's terrible. Anyways, I've been really sick. Um, it's just been a terrible few months for sickness for some reason. Um, anyways, plenty of excuses, but here I am. I just wanted to, to kind of get a little nostalgic a little bit. I just do this really pretentious, <laughs> pretentious segment about what it was like in the early days. Um, and just to be clear, my early days are what I consider like one step past the actual early days of this board gaming hobby. Because the early days would be, oh my goodness, early days would be like, um, like Scott Nicholson, um, like I think I, I think of him and Tom Vassell. I think even was like kind of there, at least in this country, sort of when these games first started coming over, 
or close to it. And I was sort of like one step past that. Like uh, Scott Nicholson's videos are like the main thing I consumed as far as videos. And then Tom Vassell's written reviews way before he ever started doing videos. Whenever I was interested in the game, I would just get on Board Game Geek and see if Tom Bass would review it. Not because at the time I really knew anything about him, except here's a guy who apparently plays a ton of games, so I can at least kind of gauge what he thinks about it and what his tastes are to help me decide if, you know. And I, I read enough of his reviews that I learned that his tastes weren't the same as mine. And so there's some games he really liked. And I'm like, no, I don't think that's for me. <laughs> that's a Tom game. Uh, but there's some games I'm like, I think I would also really like that. Um, and I don't know. I just feel like he was really honest and to the point in his reviews from the beginning. Um, so those that's sort of where I started. So I, so I got into gaming sort of after the initial wave, I guess. Um, and I started looking for some old receipts from games I bought because I've always been a weird guy as a kid. I'm the guy who would, the kid who would save my packaging to my toys. Now, mom threw most of it away because she wasn't a crazy person, but I would just save things. I don't know. Like, I'm not really a pack rat. I don't, I'm not a messy person, but I save things. And sometimes I'm really glad I'm that way because I managed to find one. I know there's got to be more around here somewhere. I, I wanted to find one of my first orders. Just, I don't know. I just think it's cool to look at that. I did find one order from timewellspent.org who no longer exists, although they did come back as timewellspent.com, have the same logo and everything. I think it's new ownership, but that's pretty cool. Um, But there weren't a hundred choices to order board games from when I first started ordering, but I did find one. It's a receipt from 2006. So 15, it's about 15 and a half years ago. I would say it was probably like my third or fourth, probably big board game order. I wish I could have found like one of my very first ones. Um, it'd been a, probably a couple years sooner, but that's all right. Um, and I just want to talk about kind of what it was like then versus now. So what started it for me, and this is, this is something that may not be addressed in anybody but me, but I started thinking about what made me interested in games and how is that different from today? Like how people would get into these games, just a fundamental exercise And for me, I was shopping on Amazon, and it had to be the early days of Amazon, like, um, I don't know, 2001, something like that, and maybe 2002, yeah, probably about 2002, Um, just looking for games to play with my cousin um, and my brother, because when my grandma was still alive, we would go over to her house every Sunday and have a great dinner, and then just look for stuff to do with our cousin. And um, so I would have been like 17, 18, you know, 2001, 2002. Um, and just looking for um, things to do. And we started finding these old board games laying around the house. Um, most of which I think were mine and my brother's games from when we were kids, like Splat and Tornado Rex. Or Tornado Rex was cool. Like I, I missed that one. Um but we started wanting something more. So anyways, I hopped on Amazon and I don't know if I'd ever ordered anything from Amazon at this point, but Amazon was around. We'll put it that way. And I found this game called Spy Alley. I think Spy Alley is like from 92 or something like that. It's it's sort of a mass market game, but it's 
not one of the ones you see all the time, you know. And I'd never heard of it. It's like, wow, how's this, there this game that people seem to really like? And I've never even heard of it, <laughs> you know, because at the time I assumed if there was a popular board game, I'd heard of it. Um, of course, we all know now that's ridiculous, but it seemed that way at the time. And so I must have went on either Yahoo or Google. It might have been Yahoo at the time. Um, and searched for Spy Alley. And that took me to Board Game Geek. And so the thing is, I never bought Spy Alley because I found other games I wanted. And I tried to figure out, I would love, I probably printed a receipt, maybe not. I would love to find an order for my first board game order because I was trying to remember um, Citadels, Clans, Bonanza. I know those were all super early. The card game Coloretto, super early. But I don't know if any of those were my first order. I just can't remember. And I would love to. But anyways, placed a game order, fell in love. Sort of the rest is history. Um, so I just want to go over this first this game order that I could find. It wasn't my first one. Like I said, it was probably a, a, a few in. But it was from uh, September 9th, 2006, org. My total was $64.75. These prices kind of got me a little bit. <laughs> um, the first one on here is Alhambra. Now, Alhambra is still around. This is over 15 years ago. You can still buy Alhambra as far as I know. Now, it probably looks different than mine. Mine was like a weird uh, shaped box, sort of um, uh, like a rectangular cube. I sound really stupid right now. What's the word? A rectangular prism. <laughs> rectangular shaped. Anyways. Um, but it's $21.75, and that was for sort of like a, not a big box game, but like a medium-sized box game. Like, well, heck, let's look up. Sorry about not my drink over. Let's look up Alhambra. Let's go to, heck, let's go to Time Well Spent. No, they're probably not going to have everything. Let's just go to Miniature Market um, and see if Alhambra is still available and what it costs now. And if this kind of thing doesn't interest you, then uh, you're probably too young to be listening to this episode or, I don't know, you're just a cooler person than me because this kind of thing just interests me, <laughs> like how things change in price. Um, and it still weirds me out that I've been in board gaming long enough now that I can be nostalgic. Like, that feels kind of weird because I'm super nostalgic about, about these video games, you know, NES and Super NES, Genesis, Sega Genesis. Um but it's weird that I'm starting to feel nostalgic about some of these, like Alhambra. I'm a little nostalgic for that game. I remember me, my brother, and my cousin Cameron playing that game, and it was perfect as a three-player game. By the way, I could not find it on Miniature Market. I thought this game was still available. Alhambra. Huh. Well, never mind. It's a shame if it's not available. I thought it was. But... I'm guessing it would probably be $30 or $35 now. So $21.75 feels like a bargain. Um, then I had two expansions. That's one way I know this was definitely not one of my first board game orders because I already have two expansions on here for Carcassonne. And they are the two essential, quote-unquote essential, Carcassonne expansions. And to this day, I only have, I think, four total Carcassonne expansions. And I always play with these two. And that's the Inns and Cathedrals expansion and the Traders and Builders expansion. Uh, $8.95, $8.95 for Ends and Cathedrals, $9.25 for Traders and Builders. Um, both these expansions just add fun to the game. Uh, yeah, 
for sale. This one got me. For sale. Um, I mean, it's really just a card game with some tokens, but it comes in like a, well, like a fleet the dice game size, size of the box. <laughs> or ink and gold, like that size of the box. <clears throat> but it was $9.95. I just feel like that would probably be $17.95 or something now, you know. Um, that was from Uberplay. Then Lightspeed from Ch Chia Pass Games, as Tom Vassell used to say. Lightspeed was $3.50. Granted, these games were known for being cheap. They're, the components were cheap. You had to provide your own spring and coins or stones or something. Um, and shipping was $11.35. I think free shipping was not really a thing so much then. I think Amazon kind of changed that, and everybody expects free shipping now. <laughs> um but yeah, let's just real quick go through these. So Carcassonne or the Carcassonne expansions, I've already said. The kind of the question I wanted to ask was, would these games come out today? Would they look super dated or would they still hold up? For me, these two Carcassonne expansions, that's a no-brainer because Carcassonne still exists. And I think they still release these expansions. The art's probably a little different. Carcassonne totally holds up as far as I'm concerned for what it is. And these expansions just make it more fun. Uh, Alhambra, the last time I played it was probably a few years ago. I remember absolutely loving the money-changing part of Alhambra, where it's got this idea of trading currencies for a different currency, kind of giving you like a multicultural money-changing feel. I remember loving that part of it. So basically the card play and liking the tile-laying part, but like the tile-laying part wasn't my favorite part of it. It was the, it was the card-playing part. That being said, I think it would still hold up today because it was a streamlined game. There wasn't a lot of extra junk. Um, yeah, I think it would still hold up today. The box would probably be a little boring, you know, today. Um, I actually set some games on the table behind me. The box might be a little boring today. Like I said, I think they've updated it. But, yeah, I think it would still totally come out today. Uh, for sale, well, that game is a masterpiece. It's still a classic. In fact, they're coming out with a new version. Was it for sale auto autorama, which is about instead of selling homes, you're selling cars. I think it changes some rules. It's, it's a different game, but I think it's very much based on for sale. I'm really interested in it. I would be shocked if it's actually a better game though, because for sale totally holds up light speed. To be honest, I've not played it in ages. It was kind of an odd quirky game using like line of sight and things. And you actually moved cards around the table because the cards were the ships. It was a pretty neat little game, but I've not, I don't know how this would come out today. Like it's a cheap game with cheap components. I mean, is Chia Pass still around? Because uh, people really expect better components now. Um, but this would probably be a novelty at best. But I don't know. It's the fact that you could get a, get a very playable game for $3.50. I guess those like Paco game, the Paco games that come like the little bubblegum shaped packs. That's probably the closest thing to this now. Um, and those are more than $3.50 even. So anyways, that was my order. And then I just I just pulled some other games off the shelf. The Citadels, that was definitely one of my first games. Um, what needs to be said about Citadels, really? But at the time it came out, it just blew our minds. We simply had not played anything like this. I doubt Citadels was the first hidden role game where you select a role in a secret from everybody else. I mean, I know there's like the mafia and werewolf that people play just with decks of cards before they release them. 
But if I'm not mistaken, Citadels came out way before there was a boxed version of Werewolf, certainly way before like Resistance and things like that. And it just blew our minds. We loved it. Our friends loved it. I still love the art. Um, uh, Citadels today, I think it does feel a little dated. But a part of me enjoys, a part of me still enjoys Citadels because it does actually try to add a game to the social deduction part. Like, it's at the end of the day, it's a pretty simple card game where you're trying to build out eight cards on the table. Um, the cards are worth points based on basically how expensive they were to build. And the trick is how do you get that money without getting killed or stolen from? Um, but I don't know. I think I think Citadels is a little dated, but I think as long as you have people who are good sports, which is always the case with these social deduction type games, I think I still prefer Citadels over most of them because there's still a card game there. It's still a genuine card game that also has the hidden role thing. So, yeah, and I, I don't even know if Citadels would be, really be considered social deduction, sort of, because you're trying to figure out what people are trying to do, but it's it's each round. Like, you don't spend a whole game as one role. It's each round you pick a different role. So I really, I think Citadels is hugely influential, and I would honestly still pick it over a lot of these types of games. Um, uh, Colorado, if you've not played it, I think more people maybe know about Zularetto, which is the board game based on Colorado. Zularetto, I've not played in years. I think it was a fine uh, family board game. But Colorado is a brilliant little card game. Um, and it's one that we played so much, we about wore the deck out. And I absolutely believe it would hold up if it came out today. Um, I think there is a newer edition that's basically the same thing, though. Uh, it even looks basically the same. It's just, it's just a great classic Michael Scott. Michael Scott. Scott? Scott? Michael Scott. That's the office. Anyways, it's a great card game. Super simple rules. You simply want to be really strong in three colors, but no more. So you're doing everything you can to get cards played and be as strong as possible in three colors, but without having any extra cards in other colors. And basically, all you do on a turn is you draw a card and pick one of the piles to put it in. You take one of the piles and play it in your area, and you're out of the round then. That's it. But it it's just clever, and it's great, and... I don't know. I have literally never gotten tired of this game and I've played it so much that we basically worn the deck out. So highly recommend it. I mean, it's, I think it's three to five players. I don't think it would be any good with two. I don't even know if it plays two officially. And it is a simple sort of old school card game. Like it's not, but it's, it's just, it's a great way to pass the time. It's, it's a lot. Of, I would play this in the place of rummy or spades or things like that. Because it's just so simple, but I don't know. To me, it feels like a game that 50 years from now will still be the same and just as good. And yeah, uh, Rumus is another one I set out on the table there. I think that was one of my early games. Rumus, I think, was sort of like a reworked version of Pueblo, which is a game I always wanted but I never got. But basically, it's it's 3D tetrominoes. It's Blocus, or Blockus, however you want to say it. It's Blockus, but in three dimensions, sort of. Um, and it's been so long since I've played it, but I always thought it was a cool game, and I love the way the pieces look. And I doubt it's still available. 
I know for a while they had Blockus 3D, which I think was just a renamed version of Rumus. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it was a cool game. From what I remember about the scoring, there's different shapes that, like there's different mats you put out and that determines the shape that you're trying to build. The thing is, you and all the players at the table are building the shapes together. But of course, you're scoring on your own. Um, so each game is different depending on the layout. But also, you want your pieces to be visible, like from a bird's eye view, is, is how I remember it. You want your color to be visible, but because it's three dimensional, I don't know. It's just it's just got a lot of thinking going on that you would not get from a polyomino game. Um, it, it was a cool game. I liked it. Bonanza is another one I set out. Bonanza was a classic. This is one that I do think if it came out today, like for the first time. I don't know. It might feel a little dated in some ways because at the end of the day, Bonanza feels a lot like a classic card game, but with a twist that makes it so different that it just, it either blew people's minds that I introduced it to way back when, because I got Bonanza well before this 2006 order. So maybe 2003 or something. Um, And the people I played it with, which would have been friends and family, basically, they just, they either loved how it was unlike anything they played before, or they were just so confused. But really, the only twist was, whenever you drew a card, it had to go to the, shoot, it's been so long, was it the front or the back of your hand? It must have been the back of your hand. And you can never rearrange your hand. That's the trick. The only way to get rid of cards you don't want in your hand is to plant them into your garden, which is just a spot in front of you on the table. But you only have two rows for beans in front of you, and you could buy a third one but you've only got two. And so if you have to plant, because on your turn, you have to plant the first card in your hand. In other words, the oldest one, I guess you would say. You can plant the second one, but you have to plant the first one. And so if you've already got both your bean rows full, you're going to have to dig up something. But the thing is, the bigger you get your row of beans, you know, the more gold they're worth, which is the whole point of the game. And so you might have a garden bean, which is one of the most rare beans planted, and you've got a second one in your hand. It's coming up, and it'll be worth some coins. But unless you can get rid of this card in your hand, say a green bean, unless you can get rid of this green bean in your hand, you're going to have to plant it um, and ruin one of your rows you have out. And so what you'll do is you'll end up trading. That's the main way you get rid of cards out of your hand. Traded cards have to be planted as soon as the trading's done but you might be willing to trade crazy good stuff as somebody will just give you something that you already have planted so you don't have to basically dig it up. And so it's a trading game, a hand management game, and a card playing game. I mean, you're playing cards onto the table, but really the game is getting the cards in your hand in the order you want them and trading away things that are going to cause you trouble. Um, I don't know. It's, it wouldn't seem as original now if it came out for the first time, but it really felt original at the time. And the thing is, I still don't think there's anything else quite like it. I mean, I do think it, it would feel a little dated now. I really do. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, we love dated movies sometimes, as long as it's aged in a good way, you know. But yeah, so I, I know there's a new version of Bonanza. It comes in like a book. It looks like a, a hardback book. I saw it at Barnes & Noble the other day. Um, for old time's sake, I'm almost tempted to get it just for the new. I think there's new artwork. I think there's some new beans. 
I'll probably end up picking it up just for that alone, honestly. Um, yeah, I think that's that's all the ones I'll talk about for now. Just uh, thanks for indulging me a little trip through nostalgia lane there. Um, I, I may never remember what was actually my first board game order. And I know it's probably weird that I even care about that, but I, I do. I care about those kinds of things. It's just uh, it's fun to look back on it, even if nobody else cares. Um, so I, I guess the, the only the other thing I want to talk about is just compared to how I got in the hobby, like what, how different is it now? And there, there's no spend much time on this. It's obviously very different. Um, you know, I went on this rabbit trail, but the thing is everything was just so new and exciting and just, there weren't thousands of games to choose from. There certainly weren't thousands of games that all did the same thing. So like when Ticket to Ride came out, I mean, it, it was a hot new game when I was still super fresh in gaming. And it was just so cool. And now people make fun of Ticket to Ride, you know, and shame on them. <clears throat> Got it. <clears throat> um, but it was just, I don't know. I mean, it seems maybe so simple now, but it was just a, a, <laughs> almost a magical experience sitting down at the table and playing some friends and family with Ticket to Ride. Um, so I guess you could say it was a simpler time. Um, the thing is, I still absolutely think Ticket to Ride is a brilliant game. A game doesn't have to be luck-free to be brilliant. A game doesn't have to be complex to be brilliant. Ticket to Ride is brilliant, brilliant because it feels like something that's been around for 100 years in the best way possible. It does feel a lot like those card games your parents grew up playing along with trains and a board on a map, which just pretty much makes sense to people. But it's always fun. It always gets tense. Um, I very rarely had a bad game of Ticket to Ride. I mean, people would almost be having to try to make it bad. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I'll, I'll never know. Is that partly nostalgia? Because I do have nostalgia for it. Um, or is it really just that good? I mean, it really is good. I mean, there's no doubt there. It's, it's won awards and sold millions of copies. That's not just... You know, I mean, why would it have sold millions of copies if it wasn't good? It's not like it's based on some hot property. It's not put out by Hasbro, you know. Um, it's not a Monopoly game. So, clearly, it is a great game. Um, but it's just hard to put into words at the time how cool it was. But now, like, if a game like Ticket to Ride came out for the first time now, you know what would happen? It might be popular for about six months. Like, for example, Cascadia. That's a game that's... I think it's still hot now. It might not even be now because things go away so quickly. Cascadia is another game that's super simple, looks really nice, super high-quality components, but it kind of feels like that's something that could have existed for a long time, but at the same time feels kind of fresh. But with Ticket to Ride, that was just such a big deal at the time. And now people are already wanting to move on for the, to the next thing, you know, so that that's kind of the difference is – uh a game that's kind of simple at its core and doesn't have anything super, super flashy, but it's just super high quality. People just don't linger with those long anymore. They just uh, move on. Um, uh, speaking of just like Days of Wonder, whenever a new Days of Wonder game came out, it was an event. It was so exciting. Up until the time they started to release a couple of duds here and there, it literally every single Days of Wonder game was an event and it was exciting. And now if you think about it, you know, with these deluxe Kickstarters and $100 to $200 board games coming out. 
like Days of Wonder is sort of like just the quality people expect now. Like that would even be your average Days of Wonder game would probably not even be like a deluxe game. That's just kind of what people expect from a full price game now. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but we are more jaded now. We'll put it that way. Definitely more jaded over time. Um, uh, and, and just, I think in general, there's just so much more hype now. Um, and I, and I'll to be honest, I, I am a grumpy old man when it comes to this. I despise the amount of hype and plastic and money that's just thrown at the screen to just grab your attention. I think it's really distracting sometimes. Um, and I'll call it this game because it's just really discouraging to me. Um, I've, I've been late to the party with Marvel United and discovered, you know what? I've got friends who love Marvel. I like Marvel well enough. Um, I want to check this game out. You know, what I love about Marvel United is they say it's so easy to combine everything together. Well, you can imagine my discouragement to realize that you can't really buy much of it in the stores, just the base game, which is really pretty slim. So the idea of how cool everything is to add together and how easy it is to add together, it's kind of a moot point because I missed out on the Kickstarters. And the thing is, even if they released another Kickstarter tomorrow, oh my goodness, talk about an embarrassment of riches. Now you could say that, well, I'm just complaining about a great thing because there's so much choice. You don't have to buy it all. But it's so overwhelming. When I bought, I don't know, uh, when I bought Ticket to Ride, the only choice was, do I want to get the regular version or the European version? And now that I have the regular version, do I want to get this $15 expansion that gives you bigger cards and tons of new destination tickets? That's about as complex as it got for tabletop board games. Now, do you want to buy the, the base pledge, the gold pledge, the gold plus pledge, the all-in hero pledge, the all-in hero plus extras pledge? Uh, then even after you do that, do you want to do all these add-ons? And you can literally spend three and $400 on a single Kickstarter. And yes, you've gotten three or $400 or more worth of stuff, but it's so overwhelming. And I'm such an old man. I know that when I say these kinds of things, but it's so overwhelming to me and I'm so sick of it. And I do, that really makes me nostalgic for the old days. Um, anyways, so that is definitely different. Like this idea of going on just, the, the things that are on Kickstarter now, like those would not have even, even existed. Like the closest we would have come was HeroScape. And I bought some HeroScape and it was $39.99 for a whole box set of the base set of HeroScape. Um which is crazy now. Uh, and I sold it like a fool. Um, and I could have weighed way more money if I'd waited to sell it or just kept it. But you know, those were had crazy plastic components, but that was just, that was because it was this Hasbro, right? Um, I think it was Hasbro. So they, they could afford it. And Lord, I can't even imagine Hasbro doing something like that. Now it was, would not happen, but that's as close as we come to probably that deluxe, that plastic of a game. And the thing is, it wasn't even expensive. That was Milton Bradley, wasn't it? It wasn't. Yeah. That's why it was so good. Hasbro's terrible. I'm sorry. They just are. Um, <laughs> anyways. <sighs> Other differences then compared to now? I mean, there's just so much choice now. I mean, that's obviously a difference. But, but at the same time, there's a lot that's the same. I mean, some of the same designers that were designing then are still designing now. Um, 
And because there are so many choices, I do think innovation is being pushed more than ever, and that's cool. So it's not all bad. Um, I think, yeah, the other difference is just how you buy games. Like, you could forget. If you wanted to walk into a big box store like Walmart or Target and buy a good board game, you could forget it. Um, Crazy enough, your best chance for getting a cool game, and I know this from much experience, was to go into one of these kind of strange, deep discount stores. There was one called Tuesday Morning. It closed around here. I don't know if they still exist anywhere. But Tuesday Morning usually had stuff I didn't care about at all, but occasionally would get a kind of cool game there. Uh, that, a game that would never be sold in stores around here, and I have no idea where they got them from, but it was just it was a cool discovery. Ollie's, which came later, and Ollie's is definitely still around, and Ollie's will still. You should check your local Ollie's if you have one. Um, if you're in North America, I don't. I don't even know where all they exist. I know they're, they have multiple locations. I know that, but I've gotten some really good games from Ollie's. I got um, game. I'm forgetting the name of. Oh my gosh, what's it called? Um, huh. Well, okay. It just it just left me. It's um, with a little cool plastic building pieces. It's been around for years and years. Torres. Torres, is that right? I think it's Torres. It's one I wanted for years, and I just went to Ollie's, and they happened to have the newer version of it. And um, it is Torres. Uh, got that there. Years ago, I got Marrakesh. Let me spell that, because I think this game is worth checking out. Um, so I want to hear a lot about now. I don't, I don't even know how to spell it. I'll be honest. I do not know how to spell it. Marrakesh. It's it's the one about rug laying. It actually comes with little colored rugs. Um, there it is. M-A-R-R-A-K-E-C-H. Marrakesh. Uh, 2007 game. I got that from Ollie's. And that is a cool little game. Little rugs. It became a favorite of ours at the time. And that was from Ollie's, which was a deep discount store. But... For the most part, you had to order online. Like finding these games at places like that was rare and few and far between. Um, but now, you know, you could make a reasonable, if you just went to Target, if you just went to Target, you could make a reasonable board game collection. Like if you came back and visited throughout one year, you know, got a couple now, waited a few months till they had something new, you could have a decent, I think, board game library in about a year. Not every great game, but some a good little library. And if you have a Barnes and Noble near you, our Barnes and Noble has just become a wonderful. I mean, I mean, it's not like a full-on board game store, but a really good selection of really good games. Um, but yeah, anyway, so that's new and that's awesome. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think just to summarize, the main difference is probably. Um, The main difference, what would the main difference be? I really have no big, big thing here, but I'm just really trying to think about when I first started gaming compared to now. And I think the word I'm going to use, and this is going to come across a little negative, and I feel a little negatively about it, but I still love the hobby. But I think the big difference is hype. I mean, and maybe this is a little bit of jealousy because all my friends knew me as the board game guy, and I was the only one who knew about these board games in our group. And I felt like I could stay on top of it because whenever a new game came out, I was going to know about it. Like if it was big at all. 
And now, shoot, I listen to the board game snobs, and these guys I have played so many games from 2001, 2001, 2021. And I started looking at the nominations on Board Game Geek for best game of 2021. I've not even played many of them at all. So, like, I don't know. Like, there's just so much hype now that I just can't keep up. Um, like, it could just be a fun hobby, and I could casually keep up, if, if that makes any sense. And now, if you want to be the person in the know about board games, it's basically like the video game hobby or the movie industry. Um, you've got to really spend a lot of time to stay up on it. It almost has to be a part-time job at the very least. Um, so yeah, I would say the hop and just the number of games is the big difference, but the most important thing is the board games in some ways have gotten better and better, or at the very least, if some of those old games were really that great, a lot of them have stuck around or come back in different ways. So the games are still great and that's really all I care about. So that's going to be it for cardboard cave episode 21. I think this is. Thanks for indulging me. Um, We'll have Gobby back next time, so it'll be worth listening to. Bye-bye.